everybody, Mark Dawes here. Now, I received an interesting call the other day from someone, and I thought I'd share this with you because they were asking the question, which was, why do I spend a lot of time educating people on what their rights are, on what they can do, as opposed to what they can't do? And the basis for the question was, you know, am I not concerned about any liability by telling people what they can do? To answer that question, I've got to take you back a few years. When I first got started in this industry, I went on a seminar tour. I was, I was doing talks around the UK. And I remember doing a talk at a hospital in London, near in Wembley. And it was on the, the conference centre there. So it wasn't just for the hospital. Lots of people had paid to come. The organisers had, had arranged it. And there, there were quite a few people there, probably about 150, 200 people. And I was doing my stuff on stage, talking about something. And a lady in the audience put her hand up. So I, I said, yes, can I help you? And she said, yes. She said, um, can you not say that? And I said, what? She said, well, you've just told them that they can do this. Would you not tell them that, please? So I said, well, why? And she said, well, you shouldn't be telling them this. You know, it can create a liability for you. So I said, well, thank you very much for your concern. But, you know, no, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. And I continued on with my talk. And then a few minutes later, a hand went up again. And she, she again said, look, I'm serious. You shouldn't be telling people what they can do because, you know, that could create a liability for you. And I said, well, how will that create a liability if what I'm telling them is correct? She said, no, you shouldn't be telling people what, what, you, what they can do. It, it, it can cause all sorts of problems. They could go back to the workplace and run rogue and hurt people and all sorts of stuff. And I said, well, thanks ever so much for your concern, but that's the nature of what I do. And I'm going to continue with my talk. So I continued again and she put her hand up a third time. But before she could say anything, a guy at the back of the room, I always remember this, he put his hand up and he said, can I say something first? I said, yeah, certainly. And as usual, when you're on stage, you think, oh, you know, someone else is going to heckle or raise an objection or something. And he said, no, I want to, I want to address a question to the lady at the front. I said, okay. And he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, would you mind just being quiet? He said, because this guy's telling us for the first time what our rights actually are and what we can do. He said, I'm sick of people telling me what I can't do. He said, we have policies and procedures. He said, and we have inspectors come out. And all it is is you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do the other. But no one actually tells us what we can do. Let him tell us. And everyone else agreed with him. They all went, yeah. So she sat down quite upset you know, or annoyed. And then eventually at the break, she left. And that's always stayed with me. And one of the reasons I do it, uh, and one of the main reasons I do it, is because you've all got family. I mean, you yourself might work in an area where you're dealing with very challenging behaviour and even violence. And we were reading every day in the press about the increase in violence in certain industry sectors. You know, and if you're in that area, you, you have rights. And those rights are enshrined in law and they can't be taken away from you by a condition of contract. And, and you have the right to exercise those rights as long as you do it reasonably. Um, what concerns me is you have family members your wife, your brother, your husband, your mother, your uncle, your auntie, your children may be going to work in these environments too. And they have a right to go home in the same state that they went to work in. And they shouldn't be living in fear. Now, let, let me expand on this thing about fear for a second as well, because there's been some research done. And if I had a snake, and fear of snakes apparently is, is one of the second most phobic reactions there is in the world today. So if, if I entered a room and there were 100 people in that room, and I had a great big snake in my hand, and I threw it into the crowd of people. It's estimated that 15% of people would have a phobic reaction 
to that snake. 85% of people wouldn't. Most of them would enjoy the experience. They'd be pushing the scared people towards a snake, probably filming it, putting it on social media and selling tickets to the show. But when a human being is expected to deal with another human being who's exhibiting violence and aggression towards them, the phobic reaction to that is 98%, particularly if it's very high levels of violence. So the reason I tell people what they can and can't do is so they have the right to protect themselves, not just physically, but also mentally. Now, we have a lot of stuff about mental health first aid out there at the moment, a lot of stuff about well-being, and we're supposed to have health, safety, and welfare, by the way, in the workplace. So it's not just about the physical skills. This is about protecting the mental health and well-being of people who are expected to deal with other people, some of whom are very, very vulnerable, but expose those people to very high levels of violence you know it so we need to tell them what they can do we shouldn't be telling them what they can't do and yeah i'm doing this podcast because i really get irritated when i see certain standards if you like come out that say no if you're doing this we won't certificate you if, if you're if you're using that type of technique then you can't have the accreditation it's not for them to say what needs to, to be done is what should be done in line with legislation and health and safety regulations and everything else. And that is the risk assessments must be done in the workplace. Behavioral care plans, if you're looking at vulnerable people, must be taken into consideration. And the risk assessments, by the way, is a very good friend of mine pointed out in a, in a reply to a comment on one of the posts I put out the other day. The risk assessments have to be done by a suitably competent person who's got experience in that field, not just someone who sits in an office and does risk assessments. So if you're dealing with violence and aggression, you want someone who has an understanding of all the dynamics associated with violence and aggression and is competent in doing risk assessments. Uh, and that may mean they've, they've gone and got training. You know, so that's what needs to be done. And you can't say that technique shouldn't be allowed because it could harm someone. Every technique can harm someone. Now, having said all that, there are some techniques, if you're looking at physical restraint or self-defense, that will cause a higher degree of harm and a higher potential of death and those techniques shouldn't be used where other less dangerous options are available but i'm coming at this just from the self-defense and self-protection element at the moment and from the personal safety aspect every person in the united kingdom has the right to stay safe and if they're at work if they're out in, you know in their own personal life in a park or shopping and that that right is compromised they have the right to leave and or defend themselves and others if need be and as long as the force used is reasonable that's the issue and just as a final signing off with this you know there was some some research done uh, by the cps i believe it was and they looked at 20 million cases that went through the courts over a 15-year period and out of 20 million cases that went to the courts only 11 people were found guilty of using excessive or unreasonable force. So the chances are statistically is that you know if you act reasonably with good honest intent for the right reasons, the chances of you found being guilty in a court of law are very, very low according to the research and the statistics. So it does irritate me when I hear certain people saying, no, if you use a technique like that, you're probably going to be found guilty. They're not a judge and jury, they're not a court of law. They're you know, whoever they are, you know, and they don't have the right to make that judgment on you okay so that's why i talk about why people are 
have rights. That, that's why I tell people what they can do. Um, I don't intentionally go out to offend people, but I gave a guarantee when I started training years ago, and that was if I train you and you need me, I'll come. And I've stood by that guarantee for many, many years, you know, almost 30 years now. Uh, and the reason I, I can make that guarantee is I'm 100% comfortable with the information we give because we research it fully. It's all legally checked. It's all health and safety reviewed. Uh, and that's why I'll do it. Uh, but more importantly, I do it because I even know that going to court for some people is a frightening experience in itself. So that's why we do it. And, and that's, you know, part of, of, of the the benefits, I suppose, if that's the right way of putting it, of, of training with us and being part of the NFPS family and the NFPS association. So I hope that helps. I hope, you know, that was just someone asking me the other day and I thought, well, if they've asked me, maybe other people are interested too. So thanks for listening. Have any comments, stick them below and I'll certainly get back to you. You have a great day.